0: Hey, you know what, Uh, amazing last two weeks. I thank God for the online services that we're able to watch. What a job by our children's ministry that Sunday, Mike, Sarah Beth, Stephanie. I mean, uh, preaching won't be as exciting as it was that morning. I just got to let you know that. That was some good stuff. Pastor Gary, thank you last week. Uh, round table participants, What a wonderful time uh, these last two weeks have been awesome i 'm hoping to bring something to you today that uh, will be of equal weight and uh, benefit to you, but i got to tell you i 've heard so many reports about the picnic and how good that was this year. I really missed my hamburger. Uh, Always look forward to my picnic hamburger. Bill, if you feel bad about that, I'll take a medium-rare filet instead if you want to grill me one up. But look at look at this, great food and a handsome cook on top of it, and a lot of fellowship and fun. I don't have to already show it. There we go. And you know, that, that was really a great time. And this is, to be honest with you, when we think about parenting, and that's where we're going this morning, it's kind of the picture we grow up with in our hearts and we're kinda like, this is just gonna be a lot of fun, a lot of food, and a lot of fellowship. But here's the reality of parenting. It looks more like this picture right here. This is what parenting looks like today. Um, Flaming arrows, we know who shoots those. Those are the enemy. And we've got children that God has entrusted to our care. I love this mother holding her Bible teaching this child about the ways of the Lord while they're taking the arrows to protect that child. That's what parenting is more like. It's not like a church picnic. And I just gotta let you know, uh, parents, grandparents today, the picnic is over. The picnic is over when it comes to parenting. And the reality is, is that we're in a world war that is more dangerous than we've ever seen before. In fact, it's a cultural war. It's a war that has to do with ideas and values. And the winner of this war, you know what the prize is? The children. And uh, for the next number of years coming, that's the target. And so this morning, I want to talk about parenting. And what I'm going to talk about is very, uh, really the passage, turn to Ephesians 6. This is our last message in the Ephesians series, Ephesians 6 on parenting. We'll be in verse 4. Uh, what we're going to teach is very simple to understand. The hard part is applying it. And we're going to spend some time this morning talking about how we apply it or what kind of world we're applying it in today. So in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, it reads like this. I trust you're there. Fathers, and by the way, let me say fathers, listen up especially, I know the mothers are deeply involved in parenting, it's a couple thing, but God really holds the fathers ultimately responsible for this, much like, you know, it was Eve who took of the fruit, was deceived of the devil, but who did God hold accountable? Adam, to whom he gave the instructions to. And so fathers, uh, don't check out and say, I got a job, this is mom's stuff at home. Uh, that's just not the reality. God is gonna hold men, fathers responsible for the upbringing of their children and accountable. So dads, listen up, especially this morning. You're gonna find out in a few minutes. Grandparents, listen up. Don't check out and I'll share with you why in just a few moments. But fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. We see two places where, or we actually we see one goal in our parenting and we see two means to get there. The goal is simply bringing up our children in the ways of the Lord. A lot like that verse we heard in Proverbs, train up your children in the ways of the Lord, when they're old, they won't depart from it. And that's the heart of this. Parents, we're to train up our children in the ways of the Lord. And he gives us two ways by which we're to do that in this passage. He says, bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Now those sound like synonyms. They sound pretty close, but I wanna give you a little distinction. Discipline has to do with the training of the child. It's training that sometimes needs pain along with it. Sometimes the pain is just of healthy training and what it takes to put things into practice. Sometimes it's the pain of correction that is necessary. So parents, we're responsible for the discipline of the children, whether that be a positive or negative enforcing of pain to get them there. And instruction has to do with knowledge. It's basically the teachings of the ways of the Lord, the instructions of the Lord. This probably is more like a, the Bears training camp right now. Let me say it's more like that than a devotional at home because in devotionals, we pretty much are just giving instructions, but we need to give instruction and training. And like in a football camp, They get a lot of instructions. They learn the plays. This is what we're supposed to do, but guess what? They go out on the field, and they practice it. They train for it. They do it repetitively until those things are ingrained in them so it comes naturally. See, this is what we as parents are to do. We're going to find it's much more than having a devotional with our kids at home, but how do we take this truth and we bring it into their life in a way that it transforms them? I put up these two PowerPoints. Instruction without discipline produces knowledge without change. If all you're doing is teaching your kids the Bible truths and you're not involving the training that actually helps them put this into practice, uh, you're gonna give them knowledge without change. But on the other hand, if you bring discipline without instruction, you produce pain without change direction. And so we as parents, and I want to say grandparents, I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter four right now in your Bibles, back in the Old Testament near the front. I want you to see this isn't just for parents today. It is for parents, but grandparents, uh, we need to be woken up somewhat to our responsibilities that God has given us in this. Deuteronomy chapter 4 will be in verse 8 as he says this, Or what great nation is there that has statues and judgments as righteous as this whole law, which I'm setting before you today? Only give heed to yourself. And keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen, and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and your grandsons. Guess what, grandparents? Our job's not done when the kids are out of the house. Because now God has said to the grandparents, Not only are you responsible to teach these things to your kids, you're responsible to teach them to your grandchildren. So my message today really is for both parents and grandparents, as God has given us both the same responsibility for the care of these little children in the midst of a world right now that wants to take them a whole different direction. Now turn to Deuteronomy 6, just two chapters apart. And he tells us the best way to do it. How's the best way to train our children and our grandchildren? He says in verse six of Deuteronomy six, these words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way And when you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be on the frontal of your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. You know what he's saying here? You need to bring God's word into real life. (laughs) Uh, You know, I, I got a confession to make. Family devotionals did not work well in our home. Uh, There's probably a hundred reasons. Maybe it was me and my inability to contextualize it well to kids or something. But for some reason, family devotions just did not work well. They often end up more in fights than times of praise and prayer. And uh, so we didn't do it well. I'm not saying we shouldn't do devotionals, but we struggled with that somewhat. But you know what did work well for us? is hey, I'm going over to True Value, why don't you jump in the car with me? By the way, you see that sum out there? Do you know who made that? We actually have a creator. What did work well for us is that as we walked along the way as we did life, as we sat down to talk about our days, as we served together, as we prayed together, as we went to church or watched a movie and said, hey, what did you guys think about that? and Uh, what, What do you think about this? So in other words, we contextualize their real life and our real life in the context of God's truth. And that's what they're saying here is that our teaching of our children is to be something we bring into our entire life. And we contextualize the truth of God and the person of God in the context of real life as we're living throughout the day. First thing in the morning, last thing at night, Everything in between—that's the way that we train our children in a way that makes a difference in their life. And so, like I said, the easy part of this message was the um, understanding the passage, using discipline and instruction to train our children in the ways of the Lord. I want to talk about the application now of that. Now, I got to let you know I don't have this thing surrounded. Uh, What I'm going to share with you this morning, uh, you're more like in the kitchen with me with all the elements on the counter and I'm still putting together the meal, sort of say, rather than I I invited you over, just sit down, I'll bring you this well-finished meal. I'm bringing you in the kitchen a little bit with me, asking you to, one, I want to open your awareness, but asking you to join in with me and join in with the church and join in with other parents into this Battle for the souls of our children. That's really where I want to go to. I want to help us understand more of what we're dealing with. I'm going to talk about a couple things. Mike Locke's going to talk about a couple things. Then I'll come back and close this up. What I want to address are two things that are at the doorsteps of our schools right now. Uh, They're not necessarily fully in, but they're at the doorsteps. And there, that's bigger than most of us realize. Because uh, Vladimir Lenin, a founder of a radical far left uh, Marxist group in Russia, that's a lot to say this, made this comment that we as parents should know better than anybody as Christians. Give me four years to teach the children, and the seed I've sown will never be uprooted. So guess what, guys? We're, we're giving our children to the school systems, and they're gonna be teaching them some things that maybe we're not aware of that we need to be more aware of. But I think this is even more important with the Proverbs 22 and the uh, Ephesians 6 truth that, you know what, as we train up our children, we can plant a seed inside of them that will never be uprooted. But you need to know that there's some seeds being planted that are different than we would plant. The two areas I want to speak about this morning have to do with the area of race and the area of sex. As Josh said, if you're a parent, uh, I'm not going to go super deep into the sex thing, but I will probably say some things. Maybe your kids might raise questions. You have to determine whether it's appropriate for them or not. But in race relations, let me just say this up front, there's much work yet to be done, both in our country and even in the churches. We talked about this two times last year. We dedicated two services to it. We did a round table. Uh, we shared our heart and our concern about many of the injustices that need to be addressed. Um, so... Today you're going to hear maybe a little balancing word on the other side of some of the cautions we have to have in the area of race as well. And the other area has to do with sexuality. And let me tell you this, we as believers in Jesus who believes that he has created male and female and given a married couple the special gift of sex, we need to respect those who operate differently than us. Just because people operate different, it's no reason for disrespect. And so as I go in to speak about things today, we want to say them carefully, respectfully, and I hope my my goal is to try to be honest and fair. I sat down with people, administrators, teachers, uh, sat down with people that know more than me. I I really kind of studied the culture as much as I did the text to be ready for this message. Hopefully I can do it right. But here's the danger, and this is why I'm going here this morning. It's dangerous when the government steps in and mandates certain things to be taught that are in direct opposition to the Bible. That's my concern this morning. And that's what I want you to be aware of because there are some things that the government is mandating that are in direct opposition to what we believe who are followers of Jesus and this is what your kids are gonna be learning in school, some of it as early as kindergarten. So we need to be aware of this. So I wanna start with race. And the critical race theory is something that raises a big flag for me when it comes to dealing with race. Um, you need to know this, it is not in the curriculums right now of kindergarten through 12th grade. It is not in the curriculums. I know some people are thinking, no, it's, it's not there. Uh, th- that doesn't mean that someday it won't be. But where it is, it is the college standard for every teacher in Illinois who's studying to be a teacher has to be trained in this. So you can kind of see where this thing is going. <laughs> so right now the teachers, are, are it's part of the college standard for training, but it's not in the curriculum of the schools yet. And my my biggest concern about, uh, I got a few concerns with it, and I'll give a few balancing words in a few moments. But this is just the direct opposite of what Martin Luther really brought us to in a good place. Remember Martin Luther's dream? He dreamed that his four children would grow up in a nation where they would not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Absolutely biblical, absolutely right, absolutely a good dream, but that is not the dream of the critical race theory. Critical race theory is really a worldview, and it is created by, uh, it's really a secular humanist worldview. Now, those are big words. By the way, this fall, I'm going to do a series on truth, and truth in light of our culture nowadays, so... What you're hearing today, and some of these things you'll you'll begin to understand better as we go to them this fall. But secular means that it has nothing to do with God. <laughs> and humanist means that it's totally developed in the best thinking and the rationality that man can come up with apart from God's wisdom. So this is a worldview that is built apart from God with man's best human stuff. And it sees it sees everything through the, race, through the lens of race, or you might wanna say through color rather than character. Martin Luther, I want my kids to be judged by their character, not by their color. R- Critical race theory takes us back where it starts with the color and not with the character. And it's a, it's a theory that starts with the whole group, corporate group of races rather than individuals. So rather than judging a person according to their individual character, if you're of this color, you're in this group, period. So this is part of the worldview. Their core problem is power. They see the core problem as power. Now, power absolutely can be abused. But who used power better than Jesus Christ and used it for the good? And so power in itself is not the real problem as we understand because power can be used for good. But in critical race theory, power is the core problem. And either you're one of two groups. It's divided like this. Either you're an oppressor or you're the oppressed. They divide the world through that lens. If you're white, you're an oppressor. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor or what your position in life is. If you're white, you're an oppressor. If you're a person of color, you're the oppressed. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, your situation in life, you're one of those two groups. It's a very divisive teaching that really separates people and creates further divisions rather than unifying us. They insist that all history should be taught through this lens that this lens of oppressor and oppression and that all of history, uh, especially American history, should be seen through this lens. Now, let, let me say this. These things oppose the Bible. I want to talk about three ways. First of all, the core problem is not power. The core problem is not skin color. The core problem is sin. Sin. And sin perverts people of whatever color you are. And it perverts systems where sin gets into. And it destroys power where it could be used for the good of mankind, it's used so. The core problem is not power. And if you got power, you're in a position of power, or an environment of power, you're the problem. The problem is sin. And when it comes to race, May the church be the champion of the fact that there's only one race, the human race, that is made in a whole bunch of different beautiful colors that God has created. Our unifying factor is that we're all made in the image of God. And we need to come together around the fact that we're made in the image of God, not on the basis of what color we are. And so, Biblically, the core problem is sin. Our race is human made in the image of God. But let me tell you this. God does hate injustice. And God does hate oppression. Um, You can't help but read the Bible and see that's part of God's heart. But here's the difference. There's a gigantic difference between the way the Bible defines oppression and justice and the way critical race theory defines oppression and justice. One of the things you're gonna learn this fall, words are loaded in these days and they mean different things to different people. And so uh, there's a big difference. Uh, Let me talk about oppressors. God hates oppression. God judged Israel because of the oppression that was going on in that nation. But the oppression happens and can happen by people of any color, and it can happen by any economic status, and it's wrong whether it's a poor person or a rich person who's oppressing. Oppression is wrong, and God hates it and deals with it and brings his judgment against it. And so any oppression that we find in the church, in the culture, whether it's in people or systems, should be confronted and dealt with. But it's a big difference from saying this group of people, no matter what color you are or no matter what your status is, are oppressors, and this group of people, no matter what color you are in your situation in life, are the oppressed. There's a big difference between those two. And the other thing is justice. There's a big difference between biblical justice and social justice. And God is very clear in his word that we give no favor in our judgment, the treating fairly of people, whether they're people who are rich or whether they're poor. He's very clear in his law to say, don't show any favor to the poor. Don't show any favor to the rich. Don't show any favor to this color or to that color. Treat them all equally and fair and use the same standard for everyone. And so justice, biblical justice, is a very different thing than a lot of the social justice. But be careful to label everybody because there's some good Christians who have a heart just to see justice, and they may call it social justice, and we're ready to jump on them and lock them in some box. Ask people what, what they mean by that. Don't label people too quickly. We're all trying to walk with Jesus the best way we know how, using the words we best understand. But God is all for justice, and God is all against oppressors, but we got to be careful on how we define that and who's defining it. You know, this has gone to such extremes. I, I want to just show you um, some of the extremes that this is going to. This, this uh, Katie Isha Zuka, Conscious Kids co-founder, and actually I was surprised to learn just last week, the Bank of America is training their leadership in this. And this is this is what, what they're saying. From three to six months, babies are being beginning to notice and already expressing preferences by race. Three to six months that they're already expressing preferences by race. Then you move here by age two, they're already using race as the reason about people's behavior. By age three, children are already starting to apply stereotypes. White children at this age may report explicit or overt negative attitudes towards people of color. And then by age four, kids are showing a strong and consistent pro-white, anti-black basis. This is the heart of some of the teaching that's going on, and that even at that young age, man, I, I got kids, grandkids that age, man. But I love it when my granddaughter moved here. Her first comment, because she lived in Aurora that was very a multi-ethnic area, and when she went to school here, her first question to her parents were, "Where are all the people of color?" This is a much more white area. And I love that. It was something she said that this isn't good. A, what's wrong here? So, my, my kids aren't thinking like that. I, I just know that firsthand. I look at them and think, they're, they're thinking about, man, where's the next bottle coming from? Or, you know, whatever. But, but this is what's being taught right now in some of the extreme critical race theory that now is a standard for those studying to be teachers in Illinois but not in the curriculum yet. Second area I want to talk about is sex education. August 9th, 1920, 1920, 2020. <laughs> um, Governor Prisker signed into law uh, that the contributions of the LGBTQ community needs to be taught into the history of the of the schools. Last Friday not, not this Friday, a week ago Friday, August 20th of 2021, he signed into law the sex education bill that's been sitting on his desk since the spring. And the curriculum's gonna start in the fall of 2023. Now let me tell you what that curriculum has. Starting in kindergarten. Now listen up. Kindergarten through fifth grade, they're gonna start teaching the kids about consent to sexual activity. How to give consent and how to receive consent. Now this is kindergarten kids. I'm gonna start teaching to them about consent to sexual activity. Giving and receiving. This is You can read this. I read it. I asked Gary Olson to read it first and then Gary highlighted and then I read it. I read the law myself. So what I'm saying isn't just speculation. I read the law myself. So starting in kindergarten and fifth grade, they're gonna be talking to the kids about consent Giving and receiving for sexual activity. How to refuse unwanted advances and how to set boundaries. Then from sixth to twelfth grade, they're gonna start teaching them about gender, gender identity and gender expression, sexual orientation, and this one's gonna open up the windows, sexual behavior. The government is mandating the teaching of this in our schools. And obviously, guys, um, the material that they're using has a drastically opposing view to what we believe about sexuality as God's people. And even more than that, this is way, way too early for these vulnerable minds to start to even talk about this and question and say, what? Give consent to what? What's that? I mean, we're we're, we're starting to put in their minds verbal pornography in kindergarten when you send your kids to school. That's the reality of what we are facing starting in the fall of 2023. So parents, who's gonna be teaching your kids about sex and race? Is it going to be? Oh, let me say, by the way, and this is important to know for those who haven't read the bill you can opt your children out of the sex education at school. And you also can offer an alternative, and this is a great place for Christian parents in the community to come together because you can review the material they're going to teach, you can opt out of it, and you can teach an alternative. That is part of the bill. And uh, parents, it's a great time to think about how can we get together and offer an alternative where we can teach a sexuality that is consistent with the truth of God's word. So parents, who's gonna be teaching your kids? Here's the reality you need to know right now. Every school district is different. You can't expect what's happening here is happening over here. It just, it's just not reality. Every school district is different because every school board who controls what's going on in there is different. And so you really gotta start saying, do I know my school board? Do I know my administrator? Do I know my teachers? There's individual teachers that have burdens for these things that are, are doing. So you, got, you, you gotta know what's going on. And don't assume that your school is okay. One of the fathers from Moraine Valley sent me a picture because he's been concerned about this, went to Central Junior High in Tinley Park. And this remember, we're to write the scriptures on our posts? Well, this is in the main hall, the picture that is posted at Central Junior High. We, the future, are unapologetically queer. That's what's posted, center front, main hall, Central Junior High in Tinley Park, where I know, that's where my kids went. And there's probably people here whose kids may be going here. Do you know what's happening in your schools? Now by God's grace, this parent spoke up. This parent brought this to the school board along with some other pictures that were up and things they were concerned about. The school board, they didn't even know it was up. So there was somebody in the administration there that was pushing this rather than, and the school board promised them to be taken down. He's still checking with the school board to see if it's been taken down yet. Uh, But this is the kind of stuff going on that we need to be aware of and become a part of. So I'm here to tell you, parents, the picnic is over. We really are in a cultural war for our kids and grandparents. And I've asked Mike Locke if he'd come up. And Mike, uh, would you share with us really about media and device usage, especially in the context of truth?
1: Welcome to Rain Valley Church. (laughs) Fun content. Um, Pat, thank you so much for handling this with sensitivity. Um, This is a a tough topic to talk about. especially when we talk about our identities and um, ourselves. And we have to remember that we live in a world and a culture that is always going to do what a world and a culture without Jesus is going to do. They're going to create and try to create their best path forward. It's easy, I think, for us to come into this situation and feel like there's this huge villain out there. Um, And as I think Pat said really well, the the, the villain is, is sin. It's our disconnect with the holy God who's made us to know him and live rightly with him. And the great news that we have here as a church is that Jesus has come to establish and reconnect that relationship with him. Um, and as we have these conversations at home, and as we, as we get organized as families and parents with our schools, uh, we have to remember that, that as, as we express to the world our, our maybe our dissatisfaction with what's going on or our concern about what's being taught, is that we're also representatives of the hope and the love of Jesus um, to our schools, to our school boards, to our committees. And so we need to do it with a spirit that honors Jesus. One of my favorite, if not my very favorite, aspect of life is being a dad. I don't always love the work of being a dad, um, but I always love the role. And um, we have such a huge, huge privilege to shape a future generation in our homes. and as we talked about a couple weeks ago, that's part of us expressing the image of God inside of us. Um, we express what it means to be like God to our children, and they get to see that in our home. And it can feel so overwhelming when we hear this news to feel like we're up against our odds, all odds. But the good news is, is God has given us what we need in his word, by his spirit, and his church um, to do this. And so rest easy, we can do this. Not rest easy, but take heart. Um, and I want to get to that in a moment, but Pat asked me to share briefly on the role of media in our homes and children. Um, there's really no way in the, the the five to ten minutes that I have here to get all of this in. Um, one moment. So it's kind of a shameless plug, but on Wednesday nights we have a program called Kids Blitz. Uh, it is right now a uh, targets uh, elementary and early elementary with kids, but the whole goal of it is to have a family experience where kids can come together, we can play games and have uh, um, opportunities to, to learn and grow in God's Word. Right there we, we are we are modeling what it looks like to have biblical conversations for your home that you can learn and grow to take home with you. But the other aspect that we're adding to this is we're going to twice a month be having family-parent conversations where we're going to pull away from the kids and kind of talk about these issues, talk about where we need to be organized, uh, what we need to learn, what we don't know yet, share with one another what we are learning so that we can resource one another. Um, Wednesday nights. so if you have any questions about that, contact Marine Valley Church. Uh, Wednesday nights is only an hour program, um, but it is worth being a part of. If you have a parent of a teenager, uh, we also will be offering a couple parent seminars uh, this semester and next as well about some of these issues as they relate to teens. Um, Last shameless plug, and I left it over there, um, but there's a book, um, yeah, could you, that'd be fantastic. My goodness, thank you, Mr. Locke. Awesome. Different spelling, more awesome, but Mr. Locke. So 12 Ways Your Phone Is Changing You. We're gonna talk about devices here, but if you wanna go into more, if you're like a a learner, like, and you wanna just jump into a device, uh, this book by Tony Reinke, uh, 12 Ways Your Phone Is Changing You with a forward by John Piper. really great hands-on practical principles to understand the psychology of what our devices are doing to the way that we do uh, life with each other with ourselves how we see the world around us um and it's it's only a few years old so it's relatively current the examples are great but the principles i think are timeless and so if you're a reader this is a fantastic must read for your family um, and gives some great principles to understand just the why making um conversations about your device use at home is important um so last that was the last name was Pug, but here are a few thoughts regarding media and devices for us at home that I want to kind of leave with us today. Um, we need to remember that media and culture is never, never neutral. It is always heading in a direction. As people, we express our values, our ideologies, our views, our worldviews through media and culture and storytelling. All of us know what we know and value what we value because someone somewhere has shared that with us. Whether we saw it on a screen, we heard it from a teacher, it was passed on from an adult, or we came to a church service, we as people are constantly moving culture in a direction and our devices are no different. Media is no different. I think sometimes, and I am guilty of this, uh, TV is a nice way to say, hey, I need 20 minutes to get my head together. Can you go watch the screen a little bit? And then the screen becomes something that the kids watch. And most of the time what they watch is benign and good, but it is never neutral. Um, Media is always shaping us, and this has always been the case. Um, But more so than ever, we have to be careful about what our kids are consuming. So watch with your children, and watch between the lines. can't really read between the lines, but watch between the lines and listen to the messages and the ideologies that are being shared in the messages of the media that they're watching, whether it's a kid's show, or maybe it's a YouTube blogger. A lot of it seems harmless, but in there are woven with ideas, side comments, side things that they see that start to create a, a piecemeal picture of the world that our kids are living in. And so they may consume small pieces and small segments of stuff, but it starts to create a bigger picture of the world, and oftentimes it's not always in line with what the world that God is inviting us to step into and help create. More media outlets now feel the need and pressure to move forward with ideologies um, about ourselves, our identity, sexuality, and our role in society. And so they are going to be stepping into creating content uh, moving forward that is going to express that. And so again, more than ever, I I would encourage you with, with the onset of binge watching and media and TV shows um, that kids can just put on their device and go onto to YouTube Kids, no content is going to be neutral or what we might consider safe for them. Again, not always a bad thing, and the motives aren't always evil. They're trying to do the best, I think, that they can for us to understand the world they want to create, but oftentimes we have to remember that God has called us to be vigilant and responsible in um, watching those things. So um, also, another thing that's happening in our media right now is that there is a large sense of shame um, that is taking place towards anyone that values things that are different than the world. And we sense this in social media already. It's an ugly place. Like, Twitter it's just like a one big, like, cranky cry fest. Everyone's just complaining about someone else. And, like, every social media outlet has its own thing. Um, but when it comes to a lot of the, even the, the stuff that, um, like, TikTok or some of those other things, there uh, so many of the stories and the ways that we are... Um, moving ideas forward is through the emotions and appealing to our affections. That's very, very powerful, Um, but it can create a sense of shame that if you don't agree with this, then you're on the wrong side of things. Students and children that start to consume this a lot start to feel a great sense of shame or fear about expressing views to the world that might differ um, from what the world is expressing. And so we need to be ready to talk about that. We need to point it out and say, hey, I understand that you just watched this, This right here, this feeling that you're feeling is not necessarily, you don't have to be ashamed of feeling something different than what the world is telling you to think or feel. Um, Also, again, there has been an increasing amount of sexualization of children and exposing youth to concepts of sex sexuality, explicit images, um, and language now between the ages of seven and eight. Um, And so if you're a a parent of a young child, um, chances are if they're on devices, they have one or two clicks away from being exposed to some things that we have never probably seen when we were that age and stuff. So be aware that that's going on. Uh, If you just search the lyrics of pop music, or even look up the number one Grammy winners or the stuff that was played at the Grammys and look at the lyrics, not at what we hear in the radio, but what is actually said on media messages like Spotify or Apple Music where it's not um, cleaned up. Uh, You realize that the lyrics and stuff that our kids are being exposed to are are very, um, very toxic. Um, When it comes to devices and apps, companies know that the way to secure the future is also to secure our youth. Um, ads and pop-ups on often benign apps are oftentimes a gateway uh, for early exposure to many of the ideas and things that we're talking about here today. Um, so be careful not even the app usage, those little, those little free apps, they're free because there's paid advertisements. And those paid advertisements oftentimes become uh, a gateway into ideas or questions or thoughts about stuff that cause kids to question the world that they're growing up in. Um, Oftentimes the background music and companies that represent them um, are often explicit, and so if you listen to the background music and a lot of famous TikTok um, dances and moves, pay attention to that because it is formative. Even things like Kids Bop, I think it's kind of fun. We put on the pop radio and stuff. They clean up the song. Um, but I even know that my daughter is uh, really interested in this one particular song right now in Kids Bop. She loves it. Um, she will not love it if she knows the original lyrics and what it's about. It is it is a horrendous song that they've cleaned up. But she went looking for that song, and I was like, no, 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 no. Do not look up that song. It is horrible. Where did you hear that? No, it was a kids' Bop song. So just be aware that there's all these other avenues that become uh, something that seems friendly to a child is sometimes just one step away from being exposed to things that we need to be really vigilant and careful with. Be careful that um, children programming, all children programming created today and moving forward, will always be done with the intent of doing what they can uh, do to move ideas forward. Again, sometimes with best intentions, but you can't assume that what your kids are watching are going to be in line or shaping them in the way that they want. So just be uh, vigilant. Um, be aware of the increasingly closed circuit that our devices create for our children. What do I mean by that? Is that oftentimes devices can cut our family out of the loop. If we aren't careful, um, our children will be with media and their schools and spend more time on those two platforms and culture than they will engaging their own parents. If we add up all the hours of conversation that we actually have with our children and put that against all the hours they have with their teacher, their friends, and their devices, if we aren't careful, we're, we're we're already stacked the wrong way. So we've gotta be careful, we can't be passive. Um, Meaning their heroes, those who inspire them, those who coach them can all be found online. Um, It's easy for a lot of kids to start to trust Google more than they trust their own parents. And if I could say this, um, much of the content online uh, causes kids to distrust adults and parents in their lives. And so it invites them to trust things um, online rather than an actual person who loves them and cares for them. Much of the media and stuff that they're watching is also asking them to question what they've been handed and what they've been given, and to start to say that maybe there's a better alternative and maybe your parents don't know what's best for you. Um, I've seen much of that. If you want to talk to me later about some of those links, I could show you personally. But where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? Um, again, there's so many things we can do, but the important things that we walk away knowing that we can do something, and we shouldn't wait to talk about it. Don't get overwhelmed and be like, wow, this is too big. We need to wait to the end of the month to like figure out a whole plan. You don't need to do that. I think just small steps rolled into your family routine and rhythms are important. Um, in our homes, um, the earlier you can start, the better, meaning age-wise. If you have kids now, this is the time to be talking about it. Even if your child um, can't even s- express a word, this is the perfect time to start thinking about your device uses at home. First ask yourself what are you modeling Um, and are are you Um, consuming media personally at home, that's maybe different than what you'd want your children to uh, watch. A lot of times they say, well, we're the adults, we can watch this, our kids watch something different. But we have to be careful because our kids see what we watch. They see what we give permission to and don't give permission to them. So what are we modeling at home? What are we modeling with how many times we click and tap our phones at the dinner table or when we're walking around, or when our children are talking to us? Do they see us kind of looking at our phones, listening to them? Those are things that they're picking up on that is creating an understanding of how to use devices for them. Um, and then also be remember that you yourself are being shaped. Um, We're always being shaped. And so media is shaping us, and so let's be careful about how it's shaping us. Um, another tip would just be delay social media as long as possible. Um, if you can, I'd say wait until um, post-high school, <laughs> honestly. Um, I, I, I'm not even kidding, I know, and I work with high school students and we use, uh, we use social media as a platform and a tool, and all these things could be great tools, Um, But there has been a noticeable difference in the amount of students that express feelings of anxiety, loneliness, uh, depression, fear, and bullying that have all come through the use of social media. The fear of missing out on something else uh, causes them to become isolated on their device all the time watching how great life is everywhere else rather than learning the skills of how to deal with themselves. Uh, they, lose a, they lower the threshold to deal with worldly and life problems because social media becomes a place to just sort of figure it out for them and just give them a sense of a dopamine release by watching the screen, getting a laugh, or turning and diverting away from the problem. I'd encourage you to, uh, life got along a long time without it beforehand, and I know we kind of want our kids to feel like they're connected, um, but I know that in our family we, we don't use social media, um, and uh, our kids are doing okay. Um, now, this I may come back five, ten years from now and have a different message for you and say things have changed, but so far, so good. So delay as long as you can. Um, control the Wi-Fi in your home. If you have devices, make sure there's a time that you cut off Wi-Fi so the kids can't get onto it. Um, I would encourage you to de- limit device usage. Potentially have a fast, like a Saturday is a no-device day, or we have time in our days where we put the phone away and for like a 12-hour break. Maybe it's um, from eight o'clock to eight in the morning, there is no device time. Whatever it is, come up with some device limitations. Um, and I would also encourage no devices in bedrooms. Um, that sometimes gets to be, a little, I want it, it's my alarm, I want it for all these other things. Um, you know your family, but I would really encourage you to keep devices out of bedrooms. Um, Don't let kids alone with devices um, and always be in the same space as them. This is super important because I know in our own home our kids have been exposed surprisingly to things that I thought we would, you know, I thought we had a lot of security on our devices and I thought we were really ahead of the curve on that and I thought we were feeling pretty good about ourselves. Um, However, a lot of those advertisements and clicks um, can actually be pretty shocking. And so be aware of what they see um, through those advertisements. Have it in the room with them. That was a a lesson that we learned the hard way. Um, Don't let kids alone, I already said that, um, with devices um, for long periods of time, because it starts to also build poor habits for their lives. Um, Another thing is not to use devices to cure boredom in the home. I'm bored, I don't know what to do, and I don't know what to do with you, so here's a shiny little tablet go ahead and play a game or do whatever Boredom is actually a good thing for our kids, and them working with us and annoying us with their boredom is actually a good thing for us to work how to work with our kids. We can't just use the device to be a catch-all. Let them be bored. It's in the boredom that they learn how to get creative. It's in the boredom that they start to see that there's other things that they could do with their time rather than just have someone or something entertain them. It's in their boredom that they start to to create utility and create um, things to do. So let them be bored. Let them figure things out. Let them figure out a way to entertain themselves. Um, and don't use it as a comfort device either. You're upset, you need to be distracted, something else is going on because it creates a false sense of comfort. Now, these may seem kind of like, oh, that's like a no-brainer, but in the moment, it's so easy, It's so easy. I don't know if anyone can relate, but there's so many times I have de- deferred to the device instead of actually dealing with the moment, um, and in times have regretted it. So um, that's another thing. And so these are some things you can do though. Do redeem family moments together. Make car rides, like Pat said. Like, there's so many great things we could have in conversations. Don't let the car ride be the thing that you give them the device and you're like, finally some quiet. Like the car ride sometimes when you have a captive audience at home, maybe it's around the dinner table, but, but be vigilant about that. Do look ahead and be involved in their world. Look ahead at the media. Watch what they're watching. Watch it ahead of time. I know it's not exciting to watch cartoons that aren't geared towards us, but I encourage you to watch things ahead of time to see what they're going to see before they see it so that you can talk about it. Do ask questions about what they're watching, um, and don't just tell them what to think about it. Ask them what they think about it, ask them how they're responding, and let them test their ideas with you. If they can't test their ideas with you, they're gonna test it with someone else on the internet, and I'd rather have them test their ideas with me and have their ideas be completely wrong so we could safely talk about it than have them test their ideas and be wrong with a world that says you're right. Um, So make sure that you're giving that space for that. and uh, then finally, remember, this is probably my closing thought on this, is that we need to give equal weight to John 14, 6, when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Um, the early Christian church weren't called Christians, um, they were actually called people of the way. Right? And they were called the people of the way because they lived differently in their culture. Their culture didn't know Jesus, their culture didn't have a lot of the things and the values that were in place that, would they, that we would look at their secular, secular world and say, wow, that was like a, totally, a world in total opposition to the things of Jesus. Um, and yet, these were people of the way that radically changed their world over time. They were people of the way, and so I think sometimes we, we, we can get really good about the truth, like this is right and this is wrong. But we need to show our children that there's a different way that we live in our home. There's a different way that we operate. There's a different way that we talk. There's a different way that we do things. Um, and it can't just be something that's told. It has to be modeled and shown. Um, And we don't have to be anxious about the world around us and where it's going. It's going to go where it's going to go because it doesn't know Jesus, right? But we do. So let's show them that there is a different way and walk the path that Jesus has marked for us. And lastly, there's also the life in Christ. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We need to be showing our children what life in Jesus looks like. Not just a list of do's and don'ts and things to sort of get so they could feel like they can check off all the moral boxes, but are they experiencing the life and the love and the forgiveness of Jesus? Are they forgiving the mission? Are they experiencing the mission of Jesus uh, at home? No one is born out of the box ready to go in the 21st century. We are all being given stuff by our culture that we're learning and assimilating to our lives. Um, And so we can engage it, we can give things to our children, we can show them a better way and a better life. And I believe that we have to be, as Pat said, the champions of a different kind of life in our homes with our devices. And we know the conversation is only getting started, so I want to encourage you as you leave, as you think about your device usage, um, just do an audit. Where do you spend time with the devices? Where do your kids do it? What was something that was said today that maybe stood out to you to maybe make one pivot or one change that could lead to a lasting impact? But we have to be vigilant. No culture's media, I mean no cultural is neutral. It is always moving in a direction. And if we aren't careful, we'll just let our kids get sucked into the current. Um, we have to show them there's a better way and a better truth and a better life. And his name is Jesus. Amen.
0: Thanks, Mike. Yeah, that's a great word. No cultural neutral. We have to realize that and never forget that. Pray for our good brother, Mike, as he leads our young people who are engulfed in the middle of all this stuff we talked about today. Uh, let, Let me say this, by the way. It's no longer about slots to fill in the ministry. We're in a war for our children. Do you realize that? And we really need all hands on deck and uh, as of this morning, I checked with Mike, we really could use one more person in the junior high ministry. Again, I'm not talking about filling slots. I'm talking about people who want to go to war for the souls of our children and be a part of that ministry and help, help their Our kids clubs that on Wednesday nights, midweek, really has a tremendous outreach out in the community. And many kids come in that don't know Jesus could use two to four more people in Sunday mornings. Um, We saw these kids up here a few weeks ago. How how awesome. You know, we just love seeing them. 12 to 15 more needs of people to work. I want to call grandmas and grandpas. This is a great place for us to be. I love to see that place full of grandmas and grandpas so the mom and dads can be in the service more often. But uh, 12 to 15 more people. Yes, good, good job, Brittany. (laughs) Tap grandpa on the arm. Say, are you listening, dad? Uh, Others can do that too. We need your grandmas. This is a war. This isn't, again, about filling slots in a ministry. Uh, we're, we're fighting for the souls of our kids, and we need all hands on deck. And I just encourage you to pray. If you say, I want to be a part of that, go you to stop at the Next Step table this morning. Give them your name and contact information. Say, hey, I, I, want, to, I want to serve in that ministry. Would you please get this to the right people? You know, I don't know who feels inadequate in here this morning, but I'll tell you, your pastor feels inadequate to lead in this. I'm inadequate for the series This Fall on Truth as we delve in more into the way the world thinks now. As parents, as grandparents, as Christian leaders, my guess is a lot of you feel like I do. Who's adequate for these things? But I love what Paul said. Such confidence we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves, To consider anything is coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. I wanna encourage you. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he's the way and the truth and the life for us as parents and grandparents and leaders and pastors. He is the hope. The world is not our enemy, the world is our ministry. You understand the difference between the two? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, what do you expect of people who are part of the God of this world where Satan is running it? Their thoughts are apart from God and empty. They're not our enemy. They're really the victims of the evil one and they're our ministry. Who knows how to walk with grace and truth in these days? Jesus, the one who's full of grace and truth, can lead you and lead me and equip us and fill us with everything we need. I want to encourage you. You walk away from here fearful, overwhelmed. We're in trouble. No, we're not. We know where the story ends. We know Jesus is coming back. We know there'll be a kingdom forever that he will reign over. So the news is good, but the, it's a little bit, it's not pretty right now. We're living in days that we as Americans used to think was the par- part of the rest of the world. Now, Now it's on our front steps. And let me say this encourage and pray for our teachers, our administrators and our school boards, members who are Christians. We have some here. They're the salt and the light in the school system right now. And some of them are feeling pressure and encouragement to teach things that go against their own soul. And they're wrestling in their own hearts. Some are bringing the light of Jesus. You know, it's just, it's not an easy day to be a teacher. And so I I just want to encourage you, encourage, love, pray for our teachers, our administrators, our school boards. And I I couldn't think of a better way to finish this morning than having Mike, who's married to a teacher, who's a pastor of youth, who's a father, than to pray for us uh, as we need. Thank you, good brother, for sharing and thanks for praying. Thanks.
1: Let's, let's pray together. Uh, Lord, I, I just uh, stand here with my brothers and sisters in this room and um, admit that I'm, I'm overwhelmed. Lord, I, I confess that sometimes I, I just uh, want to run and hide from it all. Lord, sometimes I just want to find a cave and hide my kids in it and protect them from the world. Lord, but I also know this is a world that you loved and this is a world that you're calling us to engage um, would you help us, as Pat said, to not see the world as our enemy, but to see it as our ministry? Um, would you help us to know how to navigate the forever changing and the very aggressive messaging that's coming to our kids in a way that helps them express and show the world a different way, a better way, a way that's rooted in the way, the truth, and the life of Jesus? God, I pray for our teachers and our administrators that are in schools and um, our places of work that, um, that know you and love you, Lord, that are... are um, oftentimes feel like there's a, a target on their back. Lord, I pray that you give them the wisdom um, to um, navigate these issues and, again, be winsome for Jesus. God, I pray for our children that as they grow into this world and, and this world that we're oftentimes afraid of, Lord, that, that they would be the ones that are, are equipped just for a time as this. Um, Lord, that they are the ones that are prepared to, to lead in places that, that we can't, to go places that we can't, empowered by your Spirit to represent Jesus to the world. Lord, would you give us the resources that we need at home, the patience that we need, the insight that we need, the endurance that we need um, to readjust our schedules and our time to put our focus on our kids in a way that sets them up to succeed. God, would you help our families to win at home? Would that battle be won first um, so the world can see and know um, your son? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.